Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What's going on, everyone? We're back real quick. Quick turnover here from the NFL Strategy Show. Talking Thursday night football between the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. Matt Kajeski and myself just broke that down. So to get that out of the way now, check that out at any point throughout the day. Sports are slowing down, so there's no reason not to jump in on that. Get some showdown action tonight and check out that $3.95 express package at NFL or NFL express package we have at Osimo, where you get all of our showdown content on top of everything else included in the package for less than $4 a week at awesomeo.com slash join. But that's not what we're here for. We're here for the Thursday marathon. We're going 11 games, one by one. Dave Lochran right here, Matt Kajeski by my side, as always, going through it all. We're glad to have you guys with us. You know it's going to be a long one, but it's worth it, Matt, because essentially what we do on this show is say, hey, if you watch this, you'll be good to go for the rest of the week, especially given the amount of time you've put into your matchups article, free at awesomemode.com, and all of the research that we've done to get you ready game by game for Thursday going into this week seven slate. Yes, sir. And, you know, you better caffeinate a little bit, Dave. I know you just got off with Matt Gajeski. I'm Matt Savoka. We're three-syllable last name Matt. So, like, you know, you have a little bit of an excuse there. But, you know, if you're going to plug my article, you might as well get the name right, buddy. What's what up, guys? I'm Matt Savoka. Oh, what did man. I say? No, you said Gajewski. You're oh. fine. You're fine. Well, no, you should get you. his name right because it's Gajewski. Oh, Gaj- oh, well, <laughs> all right. All right. 1-1. One, one. We're go. off to a brilliant start here. 11 games. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Savoka's article, come on, I try and give you a plug, and you rip me for I can't win around here. Uh, check it out, though. It's free. It's awesome. It's comprehensive. It's in-depth. And, and you uh, know what I did this this week? I don't know why I didn't think of this. Of course, I get all of the games that have the highest totals out first. So everything that's over 50 is already submitted to the editor, already ready to go. I got the top eight games of totals already written up for you guys. So check that out on awesomeo.com today. Well, that's just a beautiful thing. All right, let's go into this. We'll go game by game. We'll make this happen. Um, By the way, guys, happy to have you with us. For all of you that just watched the other show and you're jumping in here, well, appreciate you even more. If you're not subscribed to the channel, very simple. Just click that button. Just click that one button that says subscribe. If you hate it, click it again. Right, click it again. There is no, no, nothing lost here in the event 
that you don't like the decision you've made. The great thing about this is this is not a regret that you'll live with for the rest of your life. It is easily reversible. Bing, bang, boom. You're in, you're out, but hopefully you stay. Hopefully you hang around, become a part of the community because we'd love to have you. Hit that thumbs up too if you haven't done so yet. Smokey Bear with the super chat. Thanks, brother. He says, thanks for what you guys do uh, every week. This is my favorite show of the week. Awesome, man. And appreciate you for the super chat. Matt, I already said um, every super chat we get, I'm putting their name up on my Iverson jersey. I don't even care. I don't even oh, care. Snap. And we got we got two earlier on the show today and then one from Smokey Bears. So not that they care, but I'm doing it anyway just because it'll be fun. All right, you ready to get into it? Let's roll. Let's roll. Can't wait. Carolina, New Orleans. Kind of a game that our initial run of ownership projections and uh, initial run on the top stack tool, which is – my favorite tool on the site for pretty much every sport had them at lower ownership than I initially would have expected. And maybe that's for a couple of reasons, which we can break down, but uh, right now, 4% quarterback ownership for new Orleans, 4% for Carolina. I think you'll see some other pieces, namely Alvin Kamara get pretty popular and Mike Davis with Christian McCaffrey remaining sideline. We'll always have a decent amount of ownership, but Kind of a fun NFC South game where Carolina has been um, surprising, right? They, they, they've been a lot more impressive than many of us would have suspected. They're still seven and a half point dogs, but you've got a 51 point total here. One of like 80% of games on this slate that have a total north of 50. Let's kick it off with the Panthers. Where do you stand? It's the first time we're hearing your opinion this week, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So I I completely agree. It's a it's a week full of high totals. I was writing up the games with 49, 50 totals and I was like that's not even high this week because we just have these a couple of 56s in here and right here it settled at 51 is a game that could easily be the biggest shootout of the week with the Saints who uh yeah, I saw earlier in the week they were implied for almost 30 points and the Panthers absolutely have the offensive firepower this year to match them or at least stick with them you know my initial thought is that the Saints are going to win this game and favored at home you're obviously looking at a lot of the Saints players but these Panthers look under owned compared to how high they could score their ceilings and their median projections if this is the last week of Mike Davis before he passes the baton back to Christian McCaffrey I mean you got to tip your hat to him and maybe play him in extra lineups this weekend because he's basically, as we've said every week, sorry to sound like a broken record to start this off, he's basically playing like the RB1 overall, getting target usage unlike any running back other than Alvin Kamara in this game. And like you said, the the runback options here with Teddy Bridgewater, DJ Moore, and Robbie Anderson are, I guess I'll say slightly overlooked, especially Bridgewater here at the 4% ownership mark. Anderson and Moore, because they continue to trade off in who gets more weighted opportunity each week, last week it was Moore, in previous weeks it's been Anderson, there's some uncertainty there that actually brings them into the wide receiver 17 for Anderson and wide receiver 21 salary range. That's a great deal for players who could easily be in the top five this week. Uh, It's a perfect game environment for it. Uh, the crazy family with the super chat says, I love being overwhelmed by all of your shows each week. <laughs> Thanks, man. It could be overwhelming, but uh, with no sports really coming up for the next few months, we want to be able to give you as much NFL content as possible. Plus, Absolutely. we love doing this shit. Um, 
We had a question. Is Marshawn Lattimore going to shadow DJ Moore? Uh, your answer is there. PFF currently does not have it as a shadow matchup. They're not 100% accurate here. You can't always be, but uh, they don't have this as a shadow situation. Uh, and I think one of those reasons would be DJ Moore moves around a lot in his offense. Correct. And, you know, one discrepancy I saw with the Saints defense is that they have an extremely high pass rush grade on PFF. They're in the top 11 teams, but their coverage rating, their secondary rating is 30th in the league. So if you can keep your quarterback upright and get the ball out, it's not a secondary that teams are fearing right now. Uh, so again, that's that's something that can point us to a shootout when the underdog team here is trying to keep up and they may have the ability and they have the weapons to do it in Anderson and more. Let me just take a, a one more second here with you on Mike Davis. $6,600. Uh, last week he disappointed, but... I'm always like it was a tougher matchup, understandably so. I'm I'm so much more concerned about volume oftentimes than I am about overall production, especially when Mike Davis has proven that he can produce with the volume, right, Matt? Like you look at you look at what he's done. Last week he still had 21 total looks, 18 carries, three targets. Um, and, and now you've got him facing a New Orleans defense, which is, you know, to some extent I'd say they're they're pretty good. They're not they're not they're not going to completely stymie opposing offenses and Carolina uh, can put up some scoring, but uh, just close this team out with your, your final thoughts on Mike Davis at, at $6,600. Sure. And I think we should just turn our, our DFS brains off just for a moment and think of season long fantasy football. Ask yourself, why is Christian McCaffrey so valuable as the 101 in years like this, or Saquon Barkley at 102 even, despite their injury risk, which we both saw for both of them this year. It's because of that guaranteed usage, particularly in the uh, the passing game and the receiving game. And when you look at the Panthers, they are one of the most stackable teams if you look at two-man or three-man receiver stacks because of Davis's elite receiving usage. You know, a lot of people are going to be congregating around Alvin Kamara as the number one receiving back in the league right now. But Mike Davis is being used in a very similar way. So even as the eighth highest running back on the slate, you have to start to think about that as a discount because his name isn't Christian McCaffrey. His usage is Christian McCaffrey. So if especially if there's a little bit of sentimentality here just because we've seen such efficiency and such high usage that I think I might be overweight on Mike Davis. He's only the seventh highest running back in ownership this week. I hear you, man. And he's running uh, a ton of routes each week, well, for a running back, and he's getting targeted on a lot of them. Since week three, Mike Davis has been targeted on uh, almost 25% of the routes that he's run. That's a really high number, man. That is a really, really solid number. On the opposite side of this game, Alvin Kamara is going to be getting uh, quite a bit of ownership weighing in below that 8k mark just a little bit it's $7,900 on DraftKings he's uh 19% projected ownership too in our ownership tool at Awesomeo but I'll say this much again as I said yesterday on the show with Matt uh Gajewski, Matt Savoka <laughs> and Kyle Dvorak and as Ben Rasa astutely pointed out on Tuesday's first look show we got strategy shows every single day of the week is the ownership this slate, I think, is going to be flatter than we've seen it all season long. And 
chalk is probably going to be 20% instead of anyone coming in really high. And the reason for that, Matt, is there are so many good plays at every position in good spots. And I'll add one more thing. It's 2020. We've seen the direction that this that the offense or that the league is taking. People attribute a far less holding calls as well to more offense, which I'm on board with. Uh, ultimately, when you see all of these totals shooting north of 50, 55, 56 before the game begins, you're just going to see a lot more spread out ownership when you don't have any crazy cheap plays that are great, great value punts or whatever, you're going to see really spread out ownership as a result, because there are so many spots that people want to get to. And there's so many, you know, not so many optimal builds, but so many ways that you can get Millie maker winning lineups, tournament winning lineups built by doing it in so many different variations. Yeah, that's a really, really great point there. And I noticed it when I was starting to study the tight ends this week that, you know, it's just lucky that we have Kittle and Kelsey on a slate together. That's going to flatten out the ownership for the top tier of tight ends immediately. So that's a that's just a specific example of exactly what you're talking about here. And this game with these high reception running backs, both of them could easily be in that number one overall lineup in the millionaire maker this week, even at these chalky ownerships. So... One thing we need to mention here for the Saints is that Michael Thomas is still just a limited participant in practice. He's still dealing with a hamstring injury and with the the remnants of that high ankle sprain where we thought he was going to play last week before he was disciplined by the team. I have to say that my excitement about this game shooting out definitely dwindles if Thomas isn't able to go for some reason, maybe had some sort of compensatory injury or something like that. Uh, simply because we've seen Drew Brees really struggle in the metric that I use in my data, deep dive, true drive success rate. That's basically just your ability to turn your drives into touchdowns. He's turning them into field goals still at his typical level, but he's not finishing drives at the same career level that we've seen. I'm not going to get to the point where I want to say it's a drop-off for Brees. I'm thinking that his weaponry is really not what we thought it would be at this point. That said, Carolina is ranked 29th in overall team defense in PFS team defensive grades. That's an ex- that's an exploitable matchup for Drew Brees, even at this point in his career. I will say the only player that the Osmo projections seem to really like based on their salary expectations is Kamara, which is why we're seeing that ownership. I'm sure we're seeing that around the DFS industry that he projects to hit his uh, salary based price, salary based expectations. But Thomas, coming back, is already the third highest salary wide receiver. So you need a 22-23 point game for him to be a value. That's no margin for error for a player we haven't seen since week one. For sure. And the Panthers are allowing the, the second most yards per attempt, or yards per carry, uh, to, opposing running, uh, to opposing rushers on the season. 5.4 yards per t- attempt, which is a, a really monstrous number here. Alvin Kamara might not get the volume on the ground that everyone else that everyone else gets, but he's going to be targeted frequently in the passing game. There's no denying that. The only real concern here with Alvin Kamara is, and we've seen this happen before, is if they do go up early and they take a, a very early lead and Michael Thomas plays and Latavius Murray ends up getting like 11 or 12 carries because they just mix them up on the ground and they're having so much success on the ground that you begin to see somewhat of a timeshare 
on the ground, not through the air, obviously. But Latavius Murray uh, is a type of back that Sean Payton is very much willing to run uh, on the ground for a decent amount of times in favorable game scripts. For example, against Detroit, he had 14 carries. In a loss to Green Bay, he had 12. And in a win over Tampa Bay by 11 points in week one, he had 15, Matt. Yeah, and, you know, I believe it was two weeks ago when Kamara was heavily, heavily owned on the main slate. Detroit. Yes, that Latavius Murray basically vultured him for two touchdowns. So they're not afraid to use him in goal line situations. Well, we we shouldn't get into the irrationality of Sean Payton at the goal line because if I see Taysom Hill come in there when I'd rather have it in their superstar's hands one more time. But uh, at the same time... When you see so much ownership, even at this slate with flattened out ownership, still we're looking at a 19% projection in ownership for Kamara and only 1.2% at this point in the week for Murray. That's a no-brainer pivot play on a team that's getting 30 to 40% of the opportunities in Murray in a game that could easily shoot out but get all their points in the first quarter or first half, meaning that it's just mop-up mode in the second. So that's a great pivot play. Yeah. It's always a little bit scary for sure, but uh, 16 opportunities, 13, 16. He's had three games with, you know, 13, 16, and 16 looks. So, you know, it could be could be done worse. Uh, wrap this game up, Matt. I don't want to spend too much time here, but I don't imagine we'll be spending an ample amount of time on the next game either. Yeah, so I think the stackability of both teams, especially if Thomas plays, is really, really strong. Do not be afraid to run it back with multiple Panthers. Again, this is assuming Thomas plays because I think the uh, the shootout probability just completely, completely explodes if Thomas plays. And uh, I just really think that a great pivot from Kamara is Davis. Though they're usually uncorrelated, we w- don't usually want to play them together even though they're both uh, receiving threats as well as running running threats. Let's talk Buffalo, New York Jets. No more Le'Veon Bell. Uh, we saw that last week as well, though. Frank Gore and Michael Pirine, both of whom uh, are, are not particularly good. But at this point, if you're Adam Gase, I, I don't understand the idea of just continuing to force feed uh, Frank Gore. Pirine did get more opportunities last week, though. Um, they're 13.5-point dogs at home home Matt 13 and a half point dogs at home this game has uh, I believe the lowest total on the sl- on the slate no I'm sorry 44 points between San Francisco and the Patriots but uh, one of the lowest totals on the slate we can actually start it with Buffalo Josh Allen started the season you know fired out of a cannon three straight 300 yard games would have crossed 300 yards against the Raiders had he not missed a uh, drive and a half with that injury and now the last two appearances have been pretty underwhelming, particularly that one against Kansas City where they just stifled him for four quarters. It looks like a pretty decent bounce-back spot against this New York Jets secondary. The Jets' run defense has been far more superior than their pass defense. You would think a lot gets funneled through the air, which has already been the case for Buffalo this season, even when they don't need to. The big question here is, uh, are you willing to pay up for Josh Allen uh, are you willing to pay up for Stefan Diggs as a pairing option, given that he's actually getting a decent amount of ownership too? But man, it's such a good matchup. Yeah, it looks really, really uh, inviting when you first look at it. And before I looked at salary, I was so excited about Josh Allen. And of course, the fact that you see him as the second highest quarterback on the slate in terms of salary, that gives you pause because that means you need a huge, huge game from him, either rushing or passing. Now, is that out of the question? 
Absolutely not. We've seen him hit the score you need for a 3x or 4x score three times already this year. But it was against lesser defenses. Actually, one of them was against the Jets earlier this year. So you could you could say that there's like a 30 to 40%, uh, probably less than that probability of him hitting. But then you start to talk about how you fit in a quality lineup around him. I'm willing to say at this point that I'm taking the L on Stephon Diggs and his ability to fit in this offense. In both short yardage and in deep targets, he's just improved Josh Allen's efficiency and accuracy across the board. And even though they had an off game last week, this really is an offense set up for explosive success in the passing game. Uh, you saw Cole Beasley also score an athletic touchdown last game. You know, he's sort of that methodical six-target player. But at this point in this matchup, fundamentally, we're thinking of the running game. I know the Jets have been a better defense against the run, but with the way that this game typically would play out, we would think the Bills get up early, and then they're focusing on ending the game quickly with their rushing game. So I'm still looking at Singletary and possibly Zach Moss at less than 1% ownership in a game where the, the Bills are still implied for 29 points, at least that's what I saw earlier this week. That could be uh, an interesting contrarian play while most people are looking at that passing game. Okay. Yeah, it's just a matter... The, the, the problem with that for me is like not only do you have to get it right that they lean on the run... Uh, but you also have to get it right knowing which one of those guys it's going to be. Uh, and then you have to have Josh Allen not vulture rushing touchdowns. Like that That's the only part that really frustrates me because there's so many pieces of that puzzle that have to fall into place. Yeah, I guess that's more of a game theory thought than a uh, most likely game scenario thought. Sure, yeah. Well, Josh Allen vulturing touchdowns, I would not say is game theory. I'd say no, that happens no. quite a bit. Uh, but all to, yeah, all in all, I, I see where you're going. Uh, anything else for Buffalo? Uh, not really here. Uh, Gabriel Davis has definitely been uh, subsided in terms of usage over the last few weeks as John Brown gets healthier here and as Zach Moss continues to be used in quality, uh, high-value opportunities. There really just isn't enough for Gabriel Davis here. So, yeah, maybe the Bills' defense is something, somewhere I'd look, even though they're number one in salary. Yeah, I actually don't mind Bill's defense at all. Look, if, if you, there are going to be spots, and this week I think will be one of them, where you can pay a little bit more for defense if you want. It's not, it's not a crazy notion. There's going to be a lot of good value all spread out throughout pretty much every tier uh, at, at each position, not including tight end. But tight end sucks pretty much every week. Uh, <laughs> and, but, and especially in tournaments, too, where people are wanting to use salary at other positions – you can use high salary defenses that have a decent probability of hitting as a differentiator in your lineups, which is really interesting. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Sam Darnold looking like he could play this week. It seems he's on track, but we don't really have any confirmation one way or the other yet. Uh, on the jet side of the football, there, there's not a whole lot to get excited about here. Uh, I will point out one more time that no matter who's throwing Jamison Crowder, the football, uh, he's going to be, very heavily involved and while last week he only mustered 48 yards on seven receptions he was targeted 13 times <laughs> in this game uh, I, i'm not overlooking the fact that he's facing the buffalo bills but in the middle of the field has actually been one spot where they've struggled more you know they're outside they, they do a good job of locking down outside receivers for the most part uh, but the middle there might be some opportunity for jamison crowder here 
5,900. Uh, I, I don't love him this week just because there's so many good options. But if I'm forced to look to someone on this team, especially if Darnold returns, Jamison Crowder is just a volume monster with double-digit targets in all four games this season. Yeah, and it, the usage is just unprecedented. Now, the sample size is a little bit smaller because he missed some time. But my goodness, if you look at uh, if you look at team-related metrics, he just is gobbling up such a huge amount of the receiving game in the Jets' passing game, which, of course, is one of the worst and least efficient game, passing games in the entire league. He did pop up on the injury report earlier this week. I noticed he, he didn't finish practice is what I saw reported. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And to be completely honest, if he's out, it's essentially how we were treating this offense in the early weeks once he left after week one. Uh, If you want to take a chance on these low-owned Jeff Smith types of plays, that's just not the type of play I like to do. I I do see the middle, middle of the field possibly being opened. It's just not a... It's just not a place I'm going unless I'm really trying to be contrarian in a tournament. Okay. Jameson Crowder's biggest game this season came against that Buffalo Bills team. I'm sorry, no. He had a bigger game against Arizona, amazingly, but seven for 115 and a score against the Bills. Let's talk about uh, do you because I don't want to I don't want to get into the weeds with spots that really mean nothing to us. So I'll just ask you if you don't have anything here, we'll move on. Uh, do you want to talk about anything from from the New York Jets run game? I, I mean, it's interesting to a point to see how this plays out. And, of course, you could see a garbage time touchdown, but not really. I'm really just looking at the passing game. It, of course, this game has a, a low probability, but a possibility of hitting its over. I'm really not looking. One thing I wanted to add, though, uh, the Bills have used shadow coverage now in four of six weeks. So they may choose to do that with Crowder if they, if they didn't last time. Okay. With who? So, yeah, it says in week one they didn't use shadow coverage. I'm looking at the PFF shadow coverage, and they've been using actually three different players for shadow coverage. In week two is Levi Wallace and Tredavious White, and then in week four is Josh Norman and Tredavious White. So they've definitely been changing it up from week to week, and I wonder, especially if Crowder isn't 100%, they change their defensive tactics and keep someone with him the whole time. Okay, that's... All right. Interesting. (laughs) I, I'm gee, I, I just I I get you know you you could you could be right here you could definitely be right especially because he blew up last time against them and they didn't use shadow coverage is what I'm seeing yeah and it's not like Jamison Crowder's been in the slot as much as you would think that he's been so okay yeah it could you could be right here God I would I would not mind if it was Josh Josh Norman certainly doesn't scare me as much as he once did but. Uh, Tredavious White will give you fits. There's no doubt about that. That's true. Detroit and Atlanta. Here's one projected for a ton of scoring. And with that in mind, you're going to see a decent amount of ownership in this game as well. Doesn't always play out, but oftentimes it does. The Falcons are laying two points at home, coming off a very impressive win. Uh, Dan Quinn was out and, you know, they turned things around at least for a week against Minnesota, and you absolutely needed that game to win tournaments. Uh, on top of Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, Justin Jefferson, that was the way it broke down. But here we go, 55.5 point total. We'll kick it off with the road team, Detroit Lions. The, the thing that I'm not really happy about is that Matthew Stafford 
has attempted 31 passes in three straight weeks. That's pretty low volume for a guy who was on pace for 5,000 passing yards last season through eight games before missing the remainder of the year. Uh, 33 pass attempts in week two against Green Bay, in which they lost by three touchdowns. 31 against New Orleans, in which they were playing from behind for an extended period of time. And he did throw 42 against Chicago. But all in all, I can't lie and say I'm not a little bit discouraged by the lack of passing volume here and the trickle-down effect it's having on a lot of these pass catchers. Maybe we see that turnaround this week. Hopefully we do. But Patricia and company have been more than willing to lean on Adrian Peterson and last week DeAndre Swift as they combined for 29 carries in a game where the game script was positive. But they've done this in games where it was negative too, Matt. Yeah, and I think it's just uh, the Matt Patricia, Adrian Peterson affinity syndrome we're dealing with. I think once you saw a team draft a running back in the second round, which isn't as high as we've seen in previous years, but then sign Adrian Peterson, we should have had the red the red and, lights and I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, that was two years removed from drafting another running back in the second round. Carry on Johnson, who didn't pan out the way that yep. they wanted to. They literally saw it not work, and they went right back to the well. And so we've talked about in previous shows here that we can assume rational coaching, that Matt Stafford had an incredible pace last season. And you know what? They're just not using him that way this year. And he hasn't been equal as efficient. Marvin Jones is now banged up. He's on the injury report for the first time this season. And you're right. It's, it's a situation where any time they get in a neutral or positive game script, they're just leaning on the running game in a way that we haven't seen from the Lions in previous seasons. So it's hard to pay up for Matthew Stafford. He's the ninth highest quarterback in salary. And I'm looking, he's the fifth highest quarterback in the Osimo projections right now. I, I like the idea of stacking him with Kenny Galladay because Kenny Galladay is just such, he's another level type of player, especially if Jones is a little bit banged up. The only other place you're looking in the passing game is Hawkinson. Galladay is up there with the the Julio Jones and the DeAndre Hopkins of the world or closer to them than his public perception. So in that case, a wide receiver 10 type of salary is something that I'm interested in. But of course, we're seeing tons of ownership congregate around him. We're seeing almost 12% ownership. That's ninth highest among wide receivers on the slate. And really what we're saying is that the Lions are going to be able to, to operate in catch-up mode against this team here. Uh, the Falcons, their only way of winning games is putting up 40 points as they did last week. So what you're really saying is that the Falcons use their type of game flow, their game script that they want to use, and the Lions are forced to come back. That's the only way this passing game makes sense. Wow. Okay, so you are you are getting away from it compared to what ownership looks like and how you see this one potentially playing out. Well, I looked at the the projections related to the salary-based expectations. And on Osmo.com this week, Matthew Stafford's projection is lower, as in worse, than his ninth-ranked quarterback salary. Kenny Galladay's projection is worse than his 10th-rate wide receiver uh, projection. Even Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift are right around their salary-based expectations. But again, they're not lower, they're above. So it's sort of leaning that way, too. The running game might be a little bit better of a value based on the Lions' play this year. Yeah, I talked about this on yesterday's show that uh, I'm just – I have some some concerns about the fact that the passing volume has been low and 
more than anything, the fact that nobody is really running away with, with, with targets in this offense. It's been really flat, uh, which I even mentioned to you earlier in the season. I thought it'd be much more concentrated, right? Like I really did. Uh, and I, I've so far I've been wrong, but I had no idea that he'd be passing so uh, at such a small, uh, low clip. It is Atlanta's passing game, though. Uh, it is a team that, that coughed up a lot of garbage time. That's the thing. Like Atlanta, a lot of what Minnesota did was was when they were already trailing by by a lot. But uh, yeah, I, I do, I, I do, I get the passing game for Detroit. I 100% do. But if we're going to ignore the run game entirely, that might be a spot to jump onto. And there were people saying that you know you're crazy if you have any interest in Swift. If he right now being projected at three percent ownership is going to stay around three percent ownership, let me make sure if it's changed. Let me see if it's changed. Three point three percent ownership right now. Uh, if that's the case, I don't mind having like ten percent DeAndre Swift. If if Detroit potentially gets out early, or if it's a competitive game and no one gets ahead early, uh, no one's up by more than a score, which were both things that could happen. While Adrian Peterson still saw 15 carries last week, uh, DeAndre Swift is still the much more effective and efficient back from what we've seen both through the air and on the ground. He's been targeted on 30% of the routes that he's running. There are a lot of things here that point towards, hey, if DeAndre Swift does uh, start to get more of this volume, then I want to be there for it, especially against Atlanta. Whether or not you believe in their run defense or not, the more DeAndre Swift is on the field, the more shot you're going to give yourself at winning a tournament if he comes in at sub 5%. Exactly. And we just saw the first game where Swift moved past Peterson in terms of that quality usage. Yeah. What if it moves further in that direction? As and that's what you're betting on, on Matt. It might not happen. That wave. But that's what you're betting on because no one else is jumping on him. If he was 20% or 18%, I guarantee you and I would be having an entirely different conversation. Exactly. And at the, at the same time, too, I, I wish I had the data to back this up, but it feels like there's this movement across the DFS industry. You don't want to be the fish that plays that point chases. Right. You don't want to be that person who played DeAndre Swift because he scored all the points last week. But let's analyze the situation as it as it fundamentally is. This is a game with a high total. This is a team that likes to utilize running backs more than we rationally think. Yep. And the more explosive running back is a player that's under own. Exactly. So that's really the fundamental thinking. One thing I do want to make sure we mention about the Detroit passing game, actually two things. One is that since week three, we've had TJ Hawkinson get 30% or 29% of the team's red zone targets. It's even higher if you look through the last two games. He's absolutely becoming that red zone, end zone beast that we hoped he would become. That's really, really exciting to see. He had a touchdown last week. And also, he just does nothing else in between the twenties is the problem. <laughs> that's that's true. But with tight ends being a wasteland, sure. it's not the worst idea. Now I do. He's see just that expensive. He's, he's very exactly what I was going to say. He's the third highest salary tight end. The Osmo projections are not rosy on him this week. And then last thing about this passing game, I noticed that uh, AJ Terrell, the rookie who just came off the COVID nineteen list, he actually shadowed Phelan. And they had not done that with uh, with the player this year. And, you know, Thielen ended up getting in the end zone. He ended up having a fine game. But that, like you said, was in garbage time. So uh, he, he had an interception, if I'm not mistaken there. And uh, so we might see that going forward as well. All right. 
Um, yeah, and look, we don't expect you guys to agree with with all of the the ways that we're looking at these games or even the strategies, but that's what makes this stuff fun, right? One of you might say, no, there's no way that happens. They're going to the pass. It's a straight shootout, aerial attack on both sides. And that might very well be the case. Uh, but if it isn't, and we've seen many times this season where what was expected to happen didn't play out at all, that's when you might be able to get something where nobody else or very little people are looking. So it's well, always important you, to point that out. That's how you win a tournament is if you find a game that shoots out and has a lot of high scores altogether that nobody is on, that's where you find yourself in a situation where you can take down really big money on a weekend. So it's okay to talk about alternative scenarios that probably won't happen to get your yep. imagination going about the possibilities, not just the probabilities. Uh, on the other side of this one, I actually want to start with Todd Gurley for the Atlanta Falcons because from a volume perspective, it has absolutely been there. He saw a season-high 24 looks last game, 20 attempts, absolutely garbage on the ground, but it didn't matter, and it showed that when Atlanta's up, they're going to force-feed Todd Gurley, no matter how inefficient he is. He had 47 yards, averaged less than 2.5 yards per attempt, but it didn't matter. He had four targets and 20 carries, uh, and you had him coming out of this game with a 58% snap count, which was the second highest of the season, uh, second to only week two where he had 64% of the snaps. Ultimately, uh, I, I, I don't necessarily, when it comes to Gurley and, and it comes to his, uh, his ownership, you're getting him at sub 10%. I don't think that's crazy. And the Detroit Lions, I mentioned earlier that uh, the Panthers are allowing 4.2 yards per attempt, the second most in the league. 5.2 yards per attempt for the Lions. They've been absolutely gassed by even semi-competent run games. I don't want to sleep on Todd Gurley here either, and I would imagine that you're going to see a lot more people going to the uh, to the passing game than the run game here. Your breakdown for the Atlanta Falcons, and then we'll move on. Yep. Well, both Julio Jones. So Julio Jones sat out practice on Wednesday, and Calvin Ridley was limited in practice. So I said this last week. The way that we project the Falcons is pretty easy, actually, when they're both on the field. They're going to be explosive. They're going to try to win games by putting up simply more points than you because the defense has struggled all year. And in that scenario, they're both being healthy. You're, the ownership being sky high is understandable because that's just the type of game they want to play. And I really like the way that you're thinking about Todd Gurley just being a simple usage play in a game that has a very, very high total, he easily could have two touchdowns simply because of the amount of implied touchdowns right. in this game. So at the same time, I'm looking at the Lions, and, and there's really nothing that jumps off the page except for that, ru that middling rushing yards per attempt. Their PFF grades are really average here, and in terms of net advantages, that's I, where I compare the PFF grades of the defense to an offense. The Falcons don't necessarily pop off the page, but part of that is because those grades don't necessarily account for injuries in the same way that we're able to here. We know that the Falcons are a completely different team with Julio Jones off the field. And so I really think in the same way that we talked about Michael Thomas, the way that this game hits its implied total is by both of those wide receivers playing. I'm probably off this game pretty much, especially with this ownership, if one of them misses or I'll be contrarian and go to the running game just like you. Okay. Todd Gurley has the third most runs of 10-plus yards this season, too. So he's actually broken off some, some big chunk yardage. I still think he looks slower, but if he's getting that, and like you said, 
they could be down at the five or the three a couple times in this game, and he punches it in on multiple occasions, and he doesn't need monster-type uh, efficiency. You want to move on, Matt? Yep, I'm good to go there. I did notice in the the net rushing advantage, which compares the rushing grade of the offense for the rush defense grade of the defense, the Atlanta Falcons are actually second worst on the slate. So that's something to mention. All right. Uh, anything else from this one? No, that's it. Let's roll. Cleveland, Cincinnati. I got to ask. I'm going to stop asking you. <laughs> Cleveland we'll and Cincinnati. The, the Cleveland Browns have been outscored 76-13 to 13 in the two games they've lost this season. Uh, you heard me say this on Tuesday's show. Both of them against divisional opponents. So that does not bode well for them when you're talking about how far they can go in this division. But as far as the Cincinnati Bengals go, the Browns have beat them once this season. Backdoor cover from Joe Burrow. That felt nice. Browns are laying three and a half points on the road. And even this game has a 50.5 total sky high totals across the board this week. This is no exception creeping up above that 50 point mark. And now you've got Kareem Hunt who uh, has right now the highest projected ownership at 21.3%. Yeah. And, and I think there's a little bit of a discrepancy here with the team that's favored and the implied totals of these teams, because we know Joe Burrow and the Bengals want to pass the ball and air the ball out and, and basically use their weaponry. But the Browns are the favorite team in this game, and their team identity is based almost entirely around an efficient run game with Kareem Hunt. Now, I'm completely on board with Kareem Hunt being the highest owned, at least projected, owned running back on the slate. He's in a really great spot here. If you look at PFF's net rush advantage, they're number one in the, the slate this week against the Bengals. So that makes total sense to me. But I don't think I understand where this passing game is coming in right now for the Browns. And I, you know, I pegged this game as hitting the under when I looked at it earlier this week because I just think that the Browns have no problem scoring only 24 points and winning this game. And you mentioned it too, that it's been like a tale, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde story for the Browns where they got completely played off the field in their two losses. And then they won every other game, including a game against the Bengals. So uh, if you think more of the same occurs, I think that they're just leaning on the rushing game. Uh, We've talked about running back twos already a bunch today, but Dernis Johnson has a great projection on awesomeo.com related to his running back 39 salary he's going to come in way under own and especially if the browns whose defensive grades are quite high over the last few weeks are able to just stymie the bengals they're going to run out their their second team as they as they did at the end of uh, garbage time against the steelers i think a lot of people thought that mayfield got benched he, he was getting protected because he was the said that she said yeah. as much he came into the game with questionable tag with the ribs in the chest anyway yeah, so, so yeah, exactly. It, it's a situation where if Mayfield is upright, he's going to play. He wasn't going, he wasn't going to get benched in any sort of real game. I'm still not on board with his QB 17 overall salary, and I'm noticing that in terms of uh, ownership projections, he's actually creeping into the top 15 here. I just don't see the ceiling here. I'm not playing him in tournaments, and I'd rather stick to the running game here in a great matchup. What about on the opposite side of this one with Cincinnati? Uh, Cleveland has been exposed in you know a couple of times this season. And as a matter of fact, even against Cincinnati, uh, Joe Burrow, despite some some you know relative inefficiencies, no interceptions, 
threw 61 times, completed 37 passes, crossed the 300-yard mark. Uh, he's done that four times this season. So he did have some relative success against them despite playing from behind. Uh, he's, he's thrown for 300-plus yards in four of his last five games, which is amazing given that he has one touchdown pass over his last three. Yeah, the efficiency just isn't there. And, you know, in terms of who's going to be the rookie of the year right now, I think Justin Herbert's definitely got him beat. But this matchup in particular looks like, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to weigh too much on that, that week two game where he threw 60-plus times, like you said. But this matchup with the Browns, they're giving up in the bottom eight teams in points per play. That's that's the worst teams in points per play. So they they can be scored on here. In, in bunches and that's really what the Bengals want to do as a team they want to use Tyler Boyd and they want to use T Higgins and it was nice to see AJ Green he actually led the team and waited opportunity this past week and you know he emerged from the dead if you will so again we talked about it a little bit on the Brown side here it's possible that the Bengals are able to use their passing game and stay it keep pace with a Browns team and that would lead to plenty of scoring in this game. But I don't know if that's necessarily the most probable option here. Uh, I got to say, yeah. Matt, that, you know, I was very high on A.J. Green to start the season. Just because I I love – A.J. Green went healthy. People always forget about it because he was hurt so often. But he was one of the, the greatest receivers in the league, right? I'm not saying all time. I'm saying in, at the time he was healthy, he was fantastic. Now – he said that he was, and Zach Taylor also said, and Joe Burrow said that he wasn't back to 100%. One game, I, I don't want to hang my hat on one game at all. But is it possible that A.J. Green, who, go back and watch this, he did get open. He did create separation. Mm-hmm. He actually did things that we've wanted to see him do. Um, is it possible that maybe he is finally getting back up to game speed, especially after a strange abbreviated and unprecedented offseason? I think riding that trend is a really great idea. He's $4,300, man. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Now let's start to consider salary here, where we have Tyler Boyd in the top 24 of wide receivers in terms of salary, and T. Higgins directly behind him at the 25th in terms of 25th wide receiver in terms of salary but AJ Green is down at 47th so the salary basically said we don't believe this is a trend to continue and why not bet that way simply because people aren't going that way you're seeing 2.5 percent ownership projection for him that's uh, that's 40th among wide receivers so even just stacking him with Burrow makes a great differentiator of a lineup and you could easily see 11 12 targets and that's a great point before this season, if A.J. Green was on the field, it was 100 yards. Book it. So it, it, it definitely has changed our perception of him by seeing him uh, be so inefficient, even on high usage earlier in the season. But he's crept up in terms of their team's true weighted opportunity share. I check in here. I believe he's back on top. He is. He's back on top and yep. now ranks 32nd in the NFL in my true weighted opportunity share, something that I mentioned in my data deep dive each week on Osmo.com. And very quickly, uh, where, very quickly on this, but given where Denzel Ward and A.J. Green both line up, uh, do you think he avoids Denzel Ward for the most part of this game? Uh, well, I want to pull up the uh, – 
PFF chart here, but I do think... It shows green lining up on the right side 93% of the time. Denzel Ward in the left, uh, left side of the field 93% of the time. 95% of the time. Well, I hope <laughs> it's one of those situations where I hope the Bengals are using PFF then, because wouldn't it be advantageous to move green around a bit in sure. this matchup? But again, we've said it before. We don't necessarily know about rational coaching. It's possible they just stick to the game plan. Uh, I, I'm not as scared that way, but basically it's because of the ownership. I'd rather be on a contrarian play in this game. That said, we could easily see targets funnel towards Boyd or Higgins. The Bengals have clearly shown yeah. they're ready to move that way if the game plan shows that as the best option. Yeah, I, I think A.J. Green will avoid Ward here uh, to, to some extent, especially given what we've seen from guys like Boyd and Higgins since that last game. But uh, there were some very tough, uncatchable passes. Uh, he did have one drop in that game where he had three receptions on 13 targets uh, and then some great defensive breakups against him in that game against Cleveland earlier this season. The only reason I mentioned that, but at 4,300, I'm willing to, to go back to the well there. If you're wrong, well, you weren't paying 6K, you're paying 4,300. Uh, exactly. Close this game out for us, Matt, and we'll move on. Yeah, just checking up the shadow, the shadow coverage report here, and Cleveland has not used shadow coverage once this season. Yep. So, uh, yes, the alignments make sense if you're looking at it from a pure data perspective, but let's contextualize this a little bit. I think you can easily play A.J. Green. You don't have to be scared of him simply because Denzel Ward might be on the same side of the field. Thanks for the super chat. Edit 1Z uh, or edits, editus. I don't know. <laughs> Trade away Melvin Gordon for Antonio Gibson. Uh, it's not a season-long show, but... Uh, I, I would I would probably still say no. I'm worried about Antonio Gibson's usage going forward. Matt, yes or no? Trade away Melvin Gordon for Antonio Gibson? You don't want a Washington running back that bad. Gibson's talented, but it's a fundamental yeah. thing. You, you, that team is going to be playing from behind so often, and you just don't know the way they're going to shake out the usage. All right, Green Bay and Houston. Let's keep this train rolling here. We've got 11 games. Uh, Green Bay laying three and a half points, 57 point total, monster total coming in on this one. And Aaron Rodgers coming uh, coming off of a truly heinous performance, zero touchdowns to two interceptions. His first two interceptions this season, his first game without at least two touchdowns. He threw none of them. He threw for 160 yards. Uh, all in all, it was one of the worst performances statistically and visually that I've ever seen from Aaron Rodgers. I expect a big bounce back here, uh, albeit on the road. And I would expect to see a pretty sizable bounce back from Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones is in a pretty uh, a pretty favorable spot as well. This game just screams fantasy points, Matt. Sure does. I mean, this is the one that I was like, yep, this is this is the big, the big uh, bonanza of the week. If you look at PFF net advantages, uh, something that, again, bringing up the data deep dive once again, this is the only game where both offenses – are in the advantage offense category. Basically, both have major advantages over their opposing defenses they're, they're facing. When that happens, that's a great recipe for points scored, and I'm absolutely in on the Packers, who actually have, I wouldn't say a discount, but they're not priced as high as I actually thought they were going to be coming into the week. So, uh, I mean, it was a little bit baffling just to see how bad Aaron Rodgers was, especially how good he's been prior to that week six matchup in Tampa Bay and uh, talk about a defense that we were a little bit wrong on. They were completely focused on stopping Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. Yep. They shadowed, they, they shadowed a bunch in that game and they looked, they looked like superstars. They, that Tampa Bay defense is special. I digress. 
I think this is a situation where I'm not afraid at all to go back to the well on Rodgers. I'm seeing 6.3% ownership. And Aaron Jones, yes, he's going to see 20-plus uh, percent ownership. But these are the these are the fundamental types of matchups that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of games that have a ton of touchdowns where I know the offensive team that the running back I'm taking is favored. And even if they're in a close game, you're not sure they're going to win – that actually might be better for the running back because they're going to be used more in the passing game. So Aaron Jones makes a ton of sense for me this week. He's going to need a huge score, about 21 or 22 points to hit 3x value. I think he can do it. Okay. Devontae Adams and the passing game, uh, where do you stand on this? I- I'll throw this out there so we don't go uh, way too long on this show. The As far as Aaron Jones goes, I really like him here. Last week was brutal. We know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers swallow up opposing running backs. They absolutely, uh, you can't run against them. It's insane. I know Jamal Williams had a a sizable run, but still, largely you're not going to get much production. Aaron Jones had 15 yards on 10 attempts. Fortunately, he got in the end zone to somewhat salvage. But now coming in against Houston, uh, I think we're in an entirely different situation. So while the passing game is impressive and I'm on it for Green Bay, outside of Devontae Adams, uh, Aaron Jones is clearly your best weapon on the ground and can be heavily used through the air where he's pulled off some chunk yardage plays as well. So uh, that's my take on the ground game. You can hit the passing game. Absolutely. So I'm looking at the Osmo projections related to salary-based expectations, and it looks great for Marquez Valdez-Scantling as well. That wasn't somewhere I was initially looking, but that makes a ton of sense here. I'm going to, again, bring it up. Lots of implied touchdowns. We have also seen Houston shadow every single week in the on their top player that they're facing, usually with Bradley Roby. He's shadowed Hollywood Brown, Chase Claypool, Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, AJ Brown. So that leads me to believe that Bradley Roby is going to spend a lot of time on Devontae Adams. That doesn't scare me entirely off of Adams, but it does, especially in tournaments, make me look at stacking MVS with Rodgers in lineups that don't use Jones, simply because I want to bet on the game environment. And easily we could see a touchdown or an 100-yard game from Marcus Valdez-Scantling if the defense is focusing too much on Adams. And it's not like the Texans' defense is, as a, as a whole, very scary. They rank 28th in PFS team defensive grade. All right. On the other side of this one, you've got Houston. Uh, it, I tweeted earlier, uh, before the season started, Matt, that w- whichever one of them stays healthy, maybe it's both, uh, one of Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks is, is going to be in championship-winning seasonal rosters on seasonal championship winning rosters and the reason for that was very simple they were getting so disrespected in terms of where they were being drafted right i was seeing brandon cooks going around 90 the guy had four four consecutive thousand yard seasons prior to last year everyone talks about the concussions and how he doesn't play he's missed like two regular season games over the past five years something bizarre but there's this like it's like almost like the Mandela effect, right? You just assume that something is the way it is until you realize it isn't, you know? Spell Chick-fil-A. Go ahead, in your head. Spell Chick-fil-A right now. Spell Chick-fil-A, Matt. C-H-I-C-K-F-I-L-A. Hey, motherfucker, you got it right. But most people get it wrong. Most people spell it C-H-I-C-F-I-L. There's a bunch of, you know what the Mandela effect yeah, yeah. is, right? Yeah. Many people will, will have something in their head 
and they just assume that's the way it is. The bears, seen bears. That yep, that's one. Yep. Perfect. There's a bunch of examples of this. I swear, wow. with the Brandon Cooks thing, I couldn't tell you how many times I saw. Oh, he misses too many games. He's always hurt. Like, yeah, is there some truth to the fact that one more concussion and he might not walk again? Yeah, sure. But but he still isn't someone that's missed a ton of games. It's just been high-profile games like the Super Bowl uh, and other spots where he's been knocked out. But I digress. A little bit of a rant there. Point is, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks from week to week in, in daily always have that upside to put up monster games. Both of them have the speed, uh, and, and both of them have the quarterback to get it done. Green Bay's pass defense is solid. We know their biggest weakness is on the ground. But in a 57-point total game, Matt, uh, as I toss this over to you, these are some interesting options here. A hundred percent. And you know what? Uh, just to finish your rant, it was really disrespect to Deshaun Watson. Yes, he lost DeAndre Hopkins, but he utilizes his number one weapons really effectively because he's a really effective quarterback and you know looking at the osmo projections related to his salary again he slides in higher in projection than he does as the quarterback six in terms of salary this weekend on DraftKings. now i am noticing that we're going to see a ton of ownership because there's a slight discount and a great expected game environment but that just means we're going to need to stack or differentiate our lineups elsewhere in order to have a tournament winning lineup that's not too hard And I love your point about Fuller and Cooks. One thing I was noticing as I was writing this game up is that over the last few weeks, the targets and the air yards are concentrating more around those two players. That's perfect when we're talking about wanting to stack this team. Yes, Randall Cobb could get into the end zone or could command six targets and get 100 yards, but it seems like the trend is becoming less likely. Will Fuller now ranks 14th overall in true weighted opportunity share, but Brandon Cooks is creeping right up there. He now ranks 31st among wide receivers. So both of them have great projections related to their salary. It looks like Cooks is even better than Fuller this week. So that might be a, a place I'd look, especially if you're using the Osimo projections here, a Watson-Cooks stack and then running it back maybe even with Aaron Jones as a, a strange differentiator. But of course, you could go to that passing game with the Packers as well. Yep. And uh, to be fair, the Packers have done a a pretty decent job of of limiting opposing passing games. There's no denying that, but it's a 57-point total. And the Houston Texans have a 27-point implied total, uh, upwards of 30 for the Packers. Points are expected to be scored. And if they're scored, it's not just going to be David Johnson putting in all that work. So, you know. You put something else you were talking about too, Dave, with the game last week with Minnesota and Atlanta. Other than Derrick Henry, that was the have-to-have-it game. And so we want to make sure we talk about these games in terms of probable game environment so that you guys know that this is one of those games that might end up being that have-to-have-it game. There's a lot of signs pointing to it. Not 100%, but that's why we got to make sure we talk about these players in this environment. And when you have speed guys like Fuller and Cooks on the outside, it's a lot more difficult to limit both of them from getting behind opposing defenders, which you know, one of them could certainly go off, uh, and then everything changes. So, hey, guys, uh, hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet. Appreciate all you guys for sticking with us on this marathon show. And if you're not subscribed to the channel, hit that subscribe button. Um yeah, hit that subscribe button. When we when we get up to, to 50K, maybe even 40K, we're like 1,500 or so away from that. 
Maybe we'll do a big giveaway. I'll see what Tom says about that. I'm sure he'll be on nice. But uh, hey, why not? You subscribe. We show up in your feed and you know, hit that notification bell so you always know when we've got new content coming up for pretty much all of our sports. Dallas and Washington. Dallas Cowboys. Oh, God. I'm not going to get into it because I ranted about it on Tuesday and on Wednesday, Matt, so I'll spare all of our viewers and our listeners uh, that disservice. But they're one-point dogs now against Washington. (laughs) That is insane. It appears that there has finally been... Mind you, Arizona opened up as two-and-a-half-point favorites. That game closed with Dallas laying one-and-a-half points. We've seen to see this a lot where Dallas has been favored in games against bad teams and they barely eke out a win against the Giants uh, or they end up losing outright, like, you know, four-and-a-half-point favorites to, to Cleveland and getting smoked, other instances of that this season as well. 46-point total, 22.5 implied for the Cowboys, 235 implied for Washington. Let's kick it off with the Cowboys here. Michael Gallup last week, if you include the pass interference calls, had four looks in the end zone, not in the red zone, in the end zone, uh, which he made nothing of, dropped one clearly, and Amari Cooper ended up stealing that at the end. I think that's worth pointing out, but I want to start with Ezekiel Elliott. Two fumbles on consecutive drives. Uh, Pollard came in, got his drive. Zeke came back. Still managed over 20 looks because of the passing game. But you know he's going to be relatively popular this week based on the fact that maybe Dallas doesn't fall behind by six scores to start off the first quarter. (laughs) I mean, that game made me want to throw up. This is basically how I've been telling people about how it made me feel. It's such a shame because the Cowboys' offense was such such an exciting thing to watch as an NFL fan with Dak Prescott. And when you match that up with a defense that can't cover anybody – they give us all these great DFS mat- matchups that we can take advantage of. And just having that go away or very likely go away with just an atrocious showing against Arizona, it's just kind of sad. That said, I think the most likely scenario is that we see Dallas settle down at least a little bit and lean more on Ezekiel Elliott both in the running game and in the passing game. They wanted to last week. They and absolutely they did. Right? They wanted to. It's one of those things where we—it's a problem. It's a problem. His his fumble percentage is higher than it's been over the last few years than it has been over the rest of his career. But we also have a situation where the player who holds the ball the most has the most opportunities to fumble. Yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that he shouldn't be fumbling. That's not what I'm saying. He shouldn't be fumbling. But I just want to remind people that the reason he has those opportunities to fumble is because he's getting the ball almost more than anybody in the NFL. And looking at the salary at running back three and the awesome projections showing him in the very top of running backs, I'm looking at it as maybe I'm getting a discount here. Now, I do want to say we have to respect the Washington defense overall. They're one of the top five teams in terms of in terms of net expected points allowed on defense, and they're fourth in team coverage rating on PFF. So they're no slouch, but they absolutely get no offensive help. So assuming the most likely scenario here where Washington puts up a paltry score somewhere in like the 16 to 21 range, the Cowboys are going to be fine leaning on Elliott instead of this passing game. 
which again is sad, but we just want to pick the right way this game goes. So I'm all over Zeke Elliott this week at 14% ownership. That feels like almost a discount, less than I would have expected. Look, I agree with everything you say in theory, but the one thing is that no matter how much they've struggled to move the football, the Washington, I'm talking about Washington, Dallas has made it possible for any team to look <laughs> like really they belong true. in the Super Bowl. And <laughs> look, I'm, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the Giants scored 34 points against them. They allowed 38 points, 450 total yards to Arizona, 49 points to Cleveland, 508 total yards, 38 points to Seattle, 412 total yards, 39 points to Atlanta, 380 total yards, and only 20 to the Rams with 422 total yards. They have now allowed 34-plus points in five consecutive games. So while I don't anticipate Washington going for, you know, five touchdowns in this game, Matt, yeah, if they scored 27 points, I'm not going to be over here scratching my head wondering what the hell happened. So that, That's a know. great point. And, you know, this is like a do you have the guts to play Washington in a situation where it does kind of make sense. Uh, I'm seeing the yeah. same thing you are. They're ranked in the top five in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback, in the top 10 to wide receiver, and in the top 10 to allowed to tight end. They have so many vulnerabilities. They're 32nd in team defense and in team coverage grade. But we're talking about Washington. Can Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas find a way to get the target share both of them have been hovering around 20 25 percent all season long and can they make it into the end zone to be productive yeah they could but maybe my washington i grew up there my bias is showing it just they never take advantage of these types of situations i'm seeing the projections look really nice for terry mclaurin he ranks inside the top 15 in awesome open projections and he's only 19th in salary uh, it's hard to go there. It's hard to go there. I will say, we mentioned him before in terms of season long, don't love him there, but Gibson this week, Antonio Gibson, the running back, he's 25th in terms of running back salary. The awesome projections are significantly higher than that. Yep. I'm, I want to go to Gibson, but I'm very scared of it. I, I really want to get to Antonio Gibson uh, at his salary, at his ownership, but... Yeah. I, it's just very difficult because the, the the Dallas Cowboys have been ravaged on the ground, but JD McKissick's being worked in more. I don't know what they, I have no idea uh, what Ron Rivera is doing with with Peyton Barber. Like, there's really no reason for him to be in there. Should Antonio Gibson just just give him the work you know, on this team? Sure. If it happens, I think he has a good game. But I thought he'd have a decent game last week, and he didn't. Uh, I, I wanted to point out one more thing. Uh, I, the the one thing actually more than the fumbling that concerns me with Zeke because. Fumbling's an issue, no question. I get it. He's fumbled a lot this season, but it's way more than he's done any other season. He never fumbled in two twice in a game before last year, uh, before last week. So it's not like you should expect this to continue, unless there's something going on, right? Unless he's got the mental yips. And I almost tweeted, "What's wrong with Ezekiel Knobloch?" But that seemed to be yeah, weird. right. It, it, and it's possible, you know. But I'm going to assume it isn't the case. My biggest worry is: the, can they run block? Like. I think Ezekiel Elliott's good, but he's always had one of the preeminent offensive lines in the league as far as run blocking goes. That's not the case this year, uh, and you've got more injuries. So you know, it, does that concern me? Yes, it absolutely does. Brandon Knight out. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Zach Martin. Th this, this could be a, a big issue here. So 
Uh, that's the last thing I'll throw at you before we move on, Matt. How much do you worry about the just complete inability to run block for Ezekiel Elliott? I, I'm absolutely worried. And, you know, I, I marked this down as well, where this is one of those monitor it because if he can't run because this offense is completely inept in terms of the passing game and the offensive line is just show, so shot that they just can't block anybody enough to give him holes, then we're going to have to reassess this entire Cowboys team. Washington, again, their strength is on defense. They simply cannot get help from their offense here. So if it's a situation where we suddenly see Washington controlling the game for a period of time, yeah, we're going we're gonna to sound the alarm on Ezekiel Elliott. We are. But I don't think that's the most likely thing here. I just Neither don't. do I. Um, and the, the, the biggest difference is Andy Dalton is going to look to him in the passing game no matter what, even if they can't get it going on the ground. So um, I still like Zeke. I'm a little worried. I like Antonio Gibson. I'm really worried. But to win tournaments, the, the thing is, if you're super confident about everyone going into your tournament lineups, you're probably going to have the same lineup as everybody else, right? You're probably going to have a very similar lineup to, to a lot of the field. So it, it's, I'm not opposed to being different here. Uh, very disappointed by Michael Gallup, just his inability to create in the in the end zone because that could have been an entirely different game. And I had a lot of Gallup captain spots. He could have had that first half touchdown. He could have had one in the second half. Uh, it could have been an entirely different look, but it wasn't, and that's okay. Close this out, Matt, with your final thoughts on the passing game with Andy Dalton under center for Dallas, and then we'll talk about a game that I think could be very much hovering under the radar. Yeah, it's funny you bring up Michael Gallup because if if this offense had Prescott at the helm still, I would be screaming from the rooftops that the huge game is coming. The huge game is coming. The huge game is coming for Michael Gallup because his routes run, I believe, I haven't checked this week, but as of last week, he had the most routes run in the entire league. They're actually rotating out CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper more than Michael Gallup. But now the way I see it is that no more than one wide receiver in Dallas is hitting his ceiling each week. So now you're saying I have a one in three chance with Cooper and Gallup and and, and Lamb, of course, to to hit on a tournament winning score that actually because I I have to guess one in three and that's pretty tough to do, that leads me towards Zeke. Okay, good points, I agree. I wanna move on to Pittsburgh and Tennessee. Uh, Before we do, guys, if you ever don't want to tune into YouTube, if you don't have YouTube Premium where you can close it, put it in your pocket, and listen without your screen being on, it can be annoying, uh, I would suggest getting Premium for sure. But if you can't do that, just go check out any podcast platform uh, because all of our shows that you see and listen to here are available on the podcast network. You go to awesomeo.com too and click on the podcast network. You'll see that. Uh, Everything is available. You'll find it on iTunes. Uh, or again, anywhere else that they're available. Uh, And I mentioned at the top of the show, but if you're just tuning in, all of our showdown content is now $3.95 a week. That's on top of everything we already included in our express package. So it's not just showdown content, but less than $4, $3.95. You're getting all the showdown content, the ownership, the player projections, the top players tool, the rankings, all of that. Uh, on top of all of our other main slate content that's involved, that's included in that. Uh, and if you want to go, if you want to go the whole way, you want to go the distance, you want to get just all access to all of our NFL content uh, for all of the main slate for everything we do. Uh, 
Alex Baker, Osimo, you know him, number one ranked player in the world. Uh, he built the projections. He built these amazing ownership projections, an awesome top stack tool that originated here at Osimo.com. Uh, and stuff that not only he built, but uses every day to become the number one player. Th that's why he's so good is with these tools. Um, obviously, you don't just plug them in and, and win $8 million, right? But they are the path to becoming better and to, to learning more about DFS, uh, becoming a better overall player and not just soaking up some lineup that someone's trying to sell you on Twitter that has 13 followers. Uh, it's the real deal. And we don't just put his name on it. It's his projections. It's his ownership. And we just have amazing content from all of our writers that put so much time into it. Matt Savoka here putting out some awesome deep dive, in-depth analytical content. Uh, ben Rasa for PGA, Josh Engelman, Adam Scher, all of these guys giving you everything you need to uh, really have everything for DFS for every sport. So you can do weekly, monthly, annual for NFL. You can do the uh, Awesome O Plus Platinum, which is all of our sports. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey, NASCAR, PGA, UFC, all of that. Uh, you could do that weekly. You can do it annual. You can do it monthly. We got something for everyone, no matter what your budget is. Go to awesome.com slash join. And if you have any questions, my DMs are open begrudgingly on Twitter because I want to help you guys at Lafay underscore D. Uh, follow me there as well. Follow Matt at Draftaholic and follow Tw uh, awesome at awesome underscore com. All right, Matt, Pittsburgh, Tennessee is a game where I actually think there could be some value here. And the ownership's coming in very low on these teams. The reason I say this is because Tennessee's games, many of them have resulted in outright shootouts. Last time, 42-36. It ended regulation at 36-36, still north of 70 points. Prior to that, 42-16 against Buffalo, still 58 points. Uh, prior to that, Minnesota, 31-30, 61 points. Jacksonville, 33-30, 66 points. The only low-scoring game we've seen is week one against Denver in that late-night Monday night football affair. Pittsburgh's offense is priced exceedingly low for some reason. If Deontay Johnson plays, uh, and I'm not necessarily sure if he will, but he's a full participant yesterday, so I assume he will, he's $4,200. Chase Claypool, 5700 after two big weeks, but it appears that everyone's forgotten about Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster. No ownership, dirt-cheap price points. I even like James Conner. Uh, I really respect Pittsburgh's defense, but if I'm team stacking with Roethlisberger and a couple pass catchers, I still don't mind running it back with an A.J. Brown or someone to get a game stack here in a game that surprisingly has a total north of 51 points. Go ahead. Take this game. Floor is yours. Yeah, well, just to caveat it a little bit, I think there is a possibility that this game underwhelms in terms of scoring. I don't think it's Oh, the I most do too. It's just that nobody is playing it. That's, that's the only place I'm coming in at. It, and that's a great point. So I think the way that we need to view this is we possibly could hit the under here. There's a good probability we hit the under. But if it hits the over, it's going to be a smash fest for a lot of these players. And it's one of those things where we can take advantage from a game theory perspective of that slightly reduced salary and the uncertainty of the Pittsburgh passing game with Deontay Johnson coming back. There's just a possibility that Roethlisberger with Connor, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Juju Smith-Schuster have an explosive offense that people need to deal with on a consistent basis while their offense has to deal with the number one defense in terms of PFF defensive grades. 
that's a great recipe for success and a huge reason why they're undefeated so far. So I'm looking at this passing game as very, as very, very appealing. And in the Osmo projections, Claypool and Deontay Johnson both look like values related to their salary-based expectations, and it makes a lot of sense. The Tennessee Titans are bottom 12 in PFF's coverage grade and bottom 12 in overall defensive grade. There's a lot of situations here where the Steelers are forced because of their own game script. I know their defense has been extremely strong, but the Tennessee offense has been one of the best in the league. Yeah. Forced to keep pace. And this is an offense that can absolutely do that if they're forced to do such a thing. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this game goes under either at all. Like, I mean, if this was a if this was a 20 to 17 game, I wouldn't be shocked by it. But you've also got Pittsburgh ownership, stack ownership coming in at two and a half percent right now. Uh, Tennessee coming in at three percent. So knowing that. Okay, well, let's just look at it. I'll close it out like this. When you when you look at the total, it's still north of – it's 51.5 points, right? Still 51.5 points, which I, I'm sorry. No, it's 50.5. It's come down a little bit. But oh, it's wow. still north of – It was 50. at 52.5 on Tuesday. Right, it was. So it's been bet down a little bit. It's not lost on me. Uh, but it's still north of 50. And the pricing and the ownership is what, what plays for me. Like Deontay Johnson – before he got hurt, he was clearly the number one target in this offense. And now he's $4,200. Juju's been ter- Juju's been awful, man. Uh, I've been fortunate enough not to have a ton of him recently. Uh, and he's, it, it's been brutal to see how underwhelming he's been. But he's still talented. It's still a Tennessee team that is, as you mentioned, in, in pass coverage, not great. And Ben Roethlisberger has been good enough to say, Super cheap stack, uh, very low ownership, game still north of 50. Uh, I'm willing to take some shots on this one. Anything else here, Matt? Uh, if you want to break down the run game, James Conner, Derrick Henry? Yeah, so if we're going to talk about the Titans side a little bit more, now I know everyone is aware that the Pittsburgh defense, particularly their defensive line, both in the pass rush and in the rush defense categories, they are annihilating teams straight from the get in week one when they held Saquon Barkley to, I believe, six total yards rushing. So that's going to get people off of Derrick Henry with his running back four salary. And again, a little bit like what I was saying earlier in the show, people don't want to be that person who is point chasing. And yes, again, like a broken record, the highest probability is that Derrick Henry gets bottled up in a way that we haven't seen in the last few weeks. But I did notice when I was diving a little bit deeper that the Pittsburgh defensive line, as expected, is number one toughest in adjusted line yards from football outsiders. But they're incredible. They're 27th in open field yards allowed, and they lost linebacker Devin Bush for the season, who is their de facto quarterback on defense. And I was looking at what that means on football outsiders, and they actually have a little blurb that essentially that means that their defensive line, when you see a, a high adjusted yards rank and a very low open field rank means their defensive line is stout incredible but their safeties and linebackers are bad in coverage situations once the player gets into the open field case in point miles sanders 74 76 yard rushing touchdown once he got past that line of scrimmage exactly exactly so do we know that derrick henry it's possible that he breaks a couple tackles at the line and finds himself in the open field yeah 
yeah, it's really possible. I'm still very nervous about this spot just because he doesn't have excessive pass catching upside or any really. But if that ownership comes down very low throughout the week, um, the volume alone could put him in a position where he could be viable. Uh, Agreed. So I hear you. I'm, I'm definitely worried about it, though. I have so much respect for this Pittsburgh line. But that's a good point. And, and look, those type of stats are important. We saw it. Uh, we, we saw it with Miles Sanders. And yeah, once you get into that second level, anything can happen, especially with Henry, because his breakaway speed is so surprising. Unbelievable. I mean, it's so surprising the watching him run. line on that touchdown. Oh, amazing. It's crazy. It's great. With that ugly thing coming out of the back of his head, just <laughs> doesn't even move. <laughs> He's just like work. three times bigger than everyone chasing him. It just like looks it's crazy. like a little league football game. It's amazing. Is that the worst hair you've ever seen, or is Evan Fournier of the uh, Orlando Magic three years ago the worst hair? Or Alfred Payton? I don't know if you're a basketball guy. Alfred Payton had, like, the reverse mop on the top of his head. Remember that? Oh, I I do. I do. I don't know. I I have trouble ranking them, but there's some craziness out there. Oh, man. (laughs) Take a stand, Matt. Seattle, (laughs) Arizona. Let's uh, keep this one moving. We've got... The uh, Seattle Seattle um, and Arizona. And, oh, by the way, Josh Jennings. Thank you, brother. $20 Super Chat says, great show, fellas. Ready to get on that Iverson jersey. Oh, you're going on it right after the show, man. Which chalk are we? <laughs> Coming in with the EMAC blunder from the other day. Which chalk are we whacking off? I saw the- that. <laughs> that was great. Go watch EMAC's grew up it's on my twitter it's on his it was awesome he asked or he asked kyle if he's whacking anybody off uh wh- whacking any guys off uh and it accidentally just goes and then to watch them sort of like slowly it was melt. great it was, this is he goes oh that was a poor choice of words <laughs> it was so good but thanks a lot uh josh really appreciate you guys and all of you that have super chatted and helped support the show um so what was i talking about <laughs> the Seahawks and the Cardinals. This Seattle, is a good one. And Seattle and Arizona. Um, this game is another one where, like you said last week, where Houston, Tennessee, you needed to have that game. If it ended up being this game, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. 56-point total, uh, 29.75 for Seattle implied, 26.25 implied for the Cardinals, who are only three-and-a-half-point dogs. He projected to stay close. Uh, and it should be a fun one. Both quarterbacks, mainly uh, Kyler Murray, but there is some rushing upside here, and that definitely bolsters Kyler Murray's floor and ceiling. Yeah, and the biggest thing that sticks out to you, of course, other than that high game total, which, by the way, is really, really high, is that Seattle's schedule-adjusted fantasy points against wide receivers has been absolute garbage. Garbage compared to the rest of the entire league. So I'll give you the stat here. The fantasy points allowed over opponent average against wide receivers for the Seahawks this year has been 23 points, 22.9 DraftKings points. The next highest teams in terms of worst points given up is 9.1 points over opponent average. So we're talking about a team that is more than doubly worse in schedule-adjusted fantasy points to the position than any other team. Now, is that probably going to regress as the season goes on a little bit? Yes, but we're talking about a really, really great situation for one of the best wide receivers in football in DeAndre Hopkins. So it makes a ton of sense to see the stack, the stacking possibility with Kyler, Kyler Murray uh, coming in high in the ownership here. Now, the Osmo projections think that Kyler is a value based on his quarterback for salary, which was surprising to me. And 
Hopkins is actually a little bit overpriced, just a little bit, based on his Osmo projection. But to me, it just looks like such a smash spot, and it is a game that I want to have a part of here because on the other side, it looks like the Seahawks are set up really nicely as well. For sure. Um, this game with the 56-point total is one of the highest. So if you were to just sort this by the highest totals, and you can go to oddshopper.osimo.com and do that, by the way. I promise you'll love it. It's totally free, and there's so much cool stuff you can do on there, especially with the bet tracker. Track all your bets, set alerts for, for, weather, uh, for line movement, and you can search players' names for all of their player props, pop right up. And now the game pages are amazing. If you click on the matchup, everything you need for betting shows up. It's so cool. Stats, all the betting trends, where the money's coming in at, where the bets are coming in at, uh, what they are against the spread, how they are straight up, how they are against the total. Just, I, It's awesome. I promise you guys you'll like it. Uh, and there's a ton of crazy offers from other books out there that are trying to get you to sign up. Uh, and they're going to offer like $500 risk-free bets and thousand up to $1,000 deposit bonuses, insane stuff out there. Free money with a lot of these books. They're literally giving out free money for first-time sign-ups. So while you're over there, uh, oddshopper awesome, at awesome, oddshopper.awesomeo.com or just click on it through awesomeo.com. Check out some of those opportunities as well. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I, was, I was talking to Dave oh, yeah, go before ahead, the Matt, show please. that I have the Odd Shopper game matchup page for every show up when we do this show or for every game when we do this show because there's just so much great information that we can pull up here. Uh, it's just a a treasure trove of data and it's uh, i'm really really impressed it's, it's cool man stuff. it's a lot of fun uh and you'll see that this game has the second highest total on the slate so as far as um your overall feel for both sides goes who are your favorite plays from each side and how do you stack this game to maybe get a little different or maybe you don't need to because again ownership could be pretty flat on this slate yeah, I, I certainly love the Seahawks as a stack option because there's so much of the air yards and target share going to those top two options in Metcalf and Lockett. Although it sounds like they might be getting a new teammate soon. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there or if we get there. But if we look at the net overall advantage of the Seahawks, that's comparing the overall grades from all of the rankings on the offense for the Seahawks to all of the defensive grades on the Cardinals here. The Seahawks come in at number one on the main slate here. So I'm looking at stacks with Wilson and Lockett. I'm looking at stacks with Wilson, Lockett, and Metcalf. And even some situations where I don't have those three, I'm going to look at Chris Carson and just say, maybe I'll hedge a couple times and say they get their scoring on the ground. But I think scoring is coming in bunches. I do think there's a low possibility that the Cardinals choose to shadow one of these two players. Uh, they have... They, they shadowed in week two against Washington with Peterson on McLaurin, but they haven't done it much since. And I wonder, I was looking at Patrick Peterson's PFF grades. They're not as high as they've been in previous years. I wonder if they're seeing that as a minus EV play for their defense, which just leads me to, they probably are having some defensive troubles overall that we can take advantage of on this awesome Seahawks offense. Do you know how funny it would be if Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown end up on the same team? Uh, I, I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. I, I love a good comeback baby. story. And they, you know, he was arguably the most talented wide receiver I've ever seen. Yeah. So I'd rather have him in the league. I'd rather have him sane and in the league. I, um, I love Josh Gordon. And I am very much an advocate of his. 
I have a very similar story. Outside of playing in the NFL and getting suspended <laughs> 17 times a season, but a similar story in terms of the path that his life took, right? And you look back on it now, if this was six years from now that this happened, if it was honestly just mostly violations for smoking weed, uh, then that's so dumb. He would have been able to keep playing. You want to talk about one of the most talented players you've ever seen. Dude, Josh Gordon, when he's healthy and not high on the football field, he was fantastic. But from everything I saw in him and, and some of those interviews and documentaries pieces he did, it was it was more than weed. Uh, and and it appeared that he had a serious problem, and it really sucks, man. It sucks because uh, he he's always he he was never someone that had like domestic abuse problems, right? He wasn't caught in an elevator beating up a woman like some of these other guys that have been suspended for the league. He just couldn't stop getting high, Matt. Hey, and you know what? I, I played football in the South for a little bit, and so you know, without going into any sort of detail, like I knew that there were players who weren't sober when I played, and. You know, he talked about in that documentary that it was just sort of a way of life, that, that it was sort of like what you grabbed and what you did and what you tried before a game. And, you know, you have some empathy there. I, I also agree that the timing really affected the way that he was punished. So I, yep. I completely agree with what you said. Uh, let's just agree that the Seahawks offense, with any semblance of Josh Gordon from 2013 and any semblance of Antonio Brown from 2018, and the two receivers that they already have playing out of their minds is one of the best offenses we've ever seen, and certainly one I want to see playing a team like the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. No question. You want to talk uh, San Francisco, New England? Yeah, let's roll here. I do want to just mention again that we we have a, just a great option optionality with this game. Chris Carson, in my opinion, at just 9.5% ownership is the contrarian play here. His projection is higher than his running back 10 salary, and people are going to be on the passing game because we just waxed poetic about it for five minutes, so... Yes, we did. It's fun stuff, man. <laughs> fun stuff. San Francisco, New England. And by the way, we still got everyone hanging out with us. We're up to almost 400. So uh, you guys are the greatest. If you're not subscribed yet, do that. Even if you just want to watch, that's okay, too. We're good with that. But, uh, you know, let people know if you like the show. San Francisco, New England. This one actually has the lowest total on the slate, map. So it's at 44 points. I don't know if we should be shocked by that. There's not a whole lot of intrigue here, but what I can say is with the uh, number one, with the Patriots laying one and a half points, it's actually, I'm seeing, if you look at, uh, it's two points on FanDuel, one and a half on DraftKings. So you can get this. Uh, this is why Odd Shopper is great because you can shop around like five, six different books and find the best spots. But I want to start with, with the running back situation in San Francisco with Raheem Mostert. Uh, not expected to play. Uh, I don't see any way he plays. I don't know if he's officially been ruled out yet. I think they put him on IR, actually. Uh, was he, he was he officially to... put on IR? I'll check here. You're probably... I know he didn't practice yesterday, and that was actually the last report I saw. Um, yeah, he hasn't been put... He's listed as doubtful already. That's what I ESPN thought. Injuries. Okay. Yeah. But it's possible that he hits the IR. Um, Tevin Coleman's on the IR, should be returning soon and Jeff Wilson is questionable, that leaves us with none other than Jermichael Hasty. I've seen articles saying that he should be the starter and the go-to back uh, over Jarek McKinnon. What are you doing with San Francisco's run game against the New England team that's actually seeded some decent games to opposing running backs? 
Yeah, I, I mean, we're never ruling out the possibility of the overall winning factor in a game is Kyle Shanahan's creativity in the running game. That's always, always a possibility, yep. even against the New England Patriots, who are great uh, in scheming for specific teams. We know that already. Jarek McKinnon, the biggest concern for me here is not usage and not game flow, because I think both teams are going to lean on the running game. It's injury. We've just really never seen him with a full workload stay healthy. And even last week, the reason Hasty was getting run is because McKinnon was banged up as well. So I don't think he has an injury status heading into the weekend. I'm sure he's going to be the starter. And I understand why the Awesome o Projection has him in the top 10 of all running backs this week. But there's a little bit of, cons- of concern there in terms of durability. And you're not going to be alone. He's coming in at 8% ownership. That's 16th among running backs on the slate. Of course, the way I want to play the 49ers is getting George Kittle into my lineup somehow. Yes, I have hesitancy because, like you said, the Patriots probably play this game and stop George Kittle at all costs, get beat some other way. But it's also possible that George Kittle is at a point where no one can really stop him, even on this ho-hum San Francisco offense. Yeah. It's really, though, it's it's the creativity that, that makes this offense good, and it's George Kittle. George Kittle is spectacular in in every sense of the word, and I would assume that he's going to get opportunities here. Do you think, though, do you think that that Belichick will do everything in his power to take him out of this game? I, I, I hate that that's the overall general consensus cookie-cutter opinion. Oh, well, Bill Belichick will take him out because he all he does is, is take the best player out of the game. But in a case like this, George Kittle is clearly their best pass-catching weapon. I, I think there are ways that Shanahan can scheme to get other guys open to make uh, to to make do on screens and and so many other ways. But um, where would you put Kittle in terms of your uh, tight end rankings this week? Yeah, so it, obviously it's Kittle, Kelsey, and everybody else. So there's no there's no rocket science there. I am putting Kittle slightly below Kelsey simply because of matchup. And I noticed that the Patriots have used shadow coverage in four or five games though it has tended to lean towards the more explosive player as in New England is trying to stop explosive plays from happening. They shadowed Preston Williams, DK Metcalf, and and actually Deshaun Hamilton against the Broncos. They're third in PFF's coverage grade. They're eighth in team defense grade. This is an excellent defense, even though they lost last week uh, in a game where their offense just couldn't do anything, New England's. I, I hate to say it. I hate to just be that cookie cutter analyst but i think it's likely that we see an underwhelming performance from george kittle because of their opponent it's really that simple and that's why i'm saying in a spot like this i'm not opposed to actually taking that stance with you uh because this is one of those spots where it can really stall out an offense if you sell out to take someone like kittle out of the game um san francisco has been a tough team to predict though matt as we as we make the transition to uh new england Right, San Francisco dropped that game, a competitive game, no Garoppolo though, against the the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, on prime time, and then against Miami they come, they beat the Giants thirty six nine, lose by five points to the Eagles, and then they lose forty three to seventeen to Miami, and then they come in against a good Rams team that looked like they would have this game in hand based on what we had seen from the previous couple of weeks, 
and they beat up on them. That game was 24-16, but at no point in time was it competitive. So, never close. Right. No, never close. I don't necessarily know what to think of this San Francisco offense or defense, which leads us to New England, who mustered up 12 points last week against the Denver Broncos, who won that game 18-12. to Yeah, not the prettiest matchup there, that Broncos-Patriots game, but I think the biggest concern was the inability of the New England offense to get anything going in the passing game. You know, we kind of said in terms of in positive praise early in the season for Cam Newton that they were using Julian Edelman in this newfound downfield role and that Demir Bird was coming into his own as this third wide receiver. And now we're sitting here six weeks into the season and saying, like, can you win a game with Demir Bird, Nikhil Harry, and Julian Edelman as your three re- your three receivers right now? They looked completely out of whack. And it's not necessarily an easy matchup here. The 49ers are seventh in team coverage grade, sixth in team defense in, in terms of PFF grades. So they've weathered the storm of all of those injuries pretty darn well here. And, you know, I, I really want to avoid... Uh, COVID-19 football analysis, but it is possible that Cam Newton isn't 100% or he doesn't have the stamina or or there's a little bit of a hesitancy to use him as a power running back like we saw in the beginning of the season. I know that's flimsy. I know that's anecdotal, but we have to at least put it into our brains, and, and especially in this matchup where the total is low. We think they're going to be leaning on the run, but we're seeing Cam Newton come in with only 5% ownership. So how you play him, it, you know, can really dictate how you play this whole game. I, I'm not sure I agree with the Osmo projections. They like him more than his QB 11 salary this weekend. All right. I don't really like much of in this spot. Is there anything else you want to hit on? We got two games to go. James White, a huge part of the backfield since he came back. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the target share numbers here, but he's absolutely led the running backs in target share uh, it's brought Damian Harris a little bit on the back burner. His projection looks really nice compared to his running back 26 salary. All right. Two to go here. Let's close it out. We're almost there. It's the Marathon Thursday matchup show. Denver and Kansas City. Denver coming off uh, an ugly win, but a win nonetheless. Last week against a good Patriots team and a well-coached team, 18-12, to 12, as we mentioned. Now they get Kansas City. Uh, Things could look a little bit differently here. I guess we'll find out. 10-point dogs at home, 46-point total. They have an 18-point implied total, 28 for Kansas City. And uh, Kansas City, another team. I mean, what the hell happened, Matt? Against against the the Las Vegas Raiders, they got absolutely shit on from top to bottom all over in that game. Uh, Henry Ruggs just taking the top off of defenses. Nelson Aguilar, Darren Waller. And then last week, uh, coming off of that loss, they completely shut down Josh Allen. Uh, I think the team that we saw against Baltimore and, and Buffalo is more, uh, more the team that we should expect to see going forward. But I also want to give a little bit of respect to the Raiders. Sticking Absolutely. with this one, uh, what are you doing with, with Denver? Let's, let's talk about this offense first to kind of get it out of the way. I, I don't imagine you have a ton that you love here. Yeah, I don't. And you know, it starts with the running back position. There's still some uncertainty there after the team discipline or the Melvin Gordon getting sick and the team choosing not to discipline. He's probably going to see discipline at some point from the league. Philip Lindsay underwhelmed, even though he got plenty of usage. And Drew Locke, he, 
you know, I was looking at his his air yards total. He threw over 390 air yards, but didn't even get 150 yards passing. So that's uh, the stat you use for that ratio is called passer air conversion ratio. It's it's pacer if you've uh, heard that talked about in the DFS world. He was down with the worst quarterbacks in the league. He's down with the Jets quarterbacks in terms of his overall passer air conversion ratio this year. And that's a highly predictive metric year to year and week to week. So that's something that we don't like to see from Drew Locke in spite of them getting a win last weekend. So do I think there's a huge improvement in the possibility that he succeeds beyond that point if Noah Fant and KJ Hamler are able to get back in the lineup? Yeah, I do. But there's a lot of signs here pointed that this game hit, hits the under and that the Chiefs don't even have to put the, their foot on the gas because Denver's offense just isn't able to keep pace. That's what I see mostly. I see it as well. I, I will say, there were, I saw a couple of clips on, on Twitter the other day as I was perusing. There were like three or four throws by Drew Locke that were gorgeous, right in their hands, dropped them in, over tight coverage. All three of them dropped. So it, it could have looked a little bit better there, and it didn't. But that's how it works. Uh, and Melvin Gordon, the Denver Broncos, we found out a few hours ago, will not uh, it will not charge or they, they will not uh, take action against Melvin Gordon here. I don't know what the league is going to do, but he, he might be in the clear, at least for now. I, I'm not particularly high on this run game. Lindsay saw 23 carries with Melvin Gordon out last week. I think you're going to see a, a, an all-out timeshare here, and it's just something I'm staying away from. What are you doing with Kansas City? Yeah, so the last thing I'll say before we move over to Kansas City is that they don't even use the running backs in the passing game enough to give them any kind of floor. So that's the other part that just kind of keeps me off that team almost entirely. I'm really excited about Le'Veon Bell on the Chiefs. I don't care if they use their running backs more than they should if they have Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. I think Andy Reid, the king of the screen game, is going to find a way to use Bell in the slot and use Edwards Hilaire in the backfield plenty. Now, I it's hard to bet on either player in this first game because we have no idea how it's going to shake out. But I think what you're going to see is Bell line up in the slot. You're going to see them use him in tandem with a player like Kelsey or get someone like Hardman or Hill going horizontally while Bell and Kelsey are just sitting in the zones in the middle and the other goes vertical. I think there are just so many opportunities for this team to become more explosive that you don't say no to a player like that, even if it makes a player like Mahomes possibly even slightly, just slightly less valuable because they lean on those backfield options a little bit more. That said, I mean, the level of consistency with this player, we just take Patrick Mahomes for granted at this point. You know, he didn't even have a good game against the Bills. He threw for, I believe, 225 yards, and he still found himself in the top 10 quarterbacks because he's so efficient and he did some work in the rushing game. So there's just so many ways for him to beat you. The only thing that concerns me here is game environment where they simply don't have to score that many points. Still, the number one quarterback projection on the slate is none other than Patrick Mahomes. And the first place I'm looking in the passing game is Travis Kelsey. You're getting a discount on Kelsey, him being the second highest tight end on the slate in terms of salary. That's enough for me. I'll take it. It's that simple. So will I. Uh, Tyreek Hill, I was actually surprised that his ownership was coming in where it was at 14.7%. Mahomes acknowledged that teams were doing everything they could to take him away uh, out of the offense, but he is pretty cheap. And when you're getting that type of discount on Tyreek Hill, people are going to go there because there's tournament winning upside. Um, for those of you guys asking questions about the showdown slate, 
Uh, check out our showdown so Mac, show. Matt Kajeski and myself uh, streamed it right before this. So after you're done or anytime throughout the day, if you want to check that out, go ahead and do so. You can find it at the Awesome O uh, YouTube channel. So it's the uh, showdown strategy show for tonight's game between the Eagles and Giants. We broke down everything from all aspects, all angles of that one. And then Matt Kajeski, Kyle Dvorak coming up after this with the FanDuel strategy show. It's important because we spend a lot of time on DraftKings. Uh, FanDuel's made some mistakes recently, no doubt. I don't even know how much of it. The, the stat correct, the stat uh, provider wasn't their fault. It was, it was the way it was handled, for sure. That pissed a lot of people off. But they still have a lot of huge contests, and there's still a lot of money to be won. So uh, be sure to check that out. Those guys do a great job breaking it all down. All right, Matt, my voice is about to go. And uh, we're, we're coming up on an hour 45, making sure we hit on everything. Are you ready to close this out with Jacksonville and the Chargers? Ready to roll. Ready to roll. Let's finish right. it. Let's do it, man. I'm going to take this dog for a walk. She's starting to get she's starting to get anxious over here. Yeah, she, it's a, <laughs> Hang she's in there, a good, Pop. Hang in there. Yeah, she's a good dog. Man, pit bulls, I'm telling you, they get the worst rap in the world. They're, oh, they're the best. They're the sweetest. They love their owners. This dog would do anything for me. Loyal you know, as anything. They really yeah, my family are. has a pit bull. It's it, they're they're the a best. pit mix. They're just amazing. They're the absolute best. Love her to death. Uh, so this last game is probably uh, going to fly a little bit under the radar, but there might be some interesting pieces here as well, Matt. 49-point total. Uh, the Chargers and Justin Herbert have, have been pretty impressive. Keenan Allen is the biggest news here. Limited participant in yesterday's practice, still waiting on news from today. Uh, Mike Williams is an absolute freak of nature. Just love watching this guy play. It's it's really incredible, man. It really is. He, he makes catches, circus catches that guys, uh, that 99% of the league could never dream of making. Uh, Total disregard for his body and his health. None. He's calmed down flat on his back and uh, so many times with defenders falling on him and you think, well, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. Bring out the gurney. And he gets up and, and, and lines up. Well, and he, makes almost, he almost had his draft stock completely shattered because he hurt his neck catching a touchdown. And he was going so hard, he couldn't stop himself. He hit his head yep. on the goalpost. He missed like the first 10 games of his rookie season. Yeah. I believe because of that, right? I believe, yeah, he's still recovering. Yeah. Uh Anyway, Hunter Henry's also pretty reasonably priced. I do like him here, and his target share is not that bad. But so much of this hinges on what happens with Keenan Allen. Now, I'm going to let you tackle the whole Chargers team, but the one thing we need to talk about here is the backfield because right now, Justin Jackson, who saw more snaps and more opportunities than Joshua Kelly last week and was clearly the better, more efficient runner, he is only projected for a modest 4 0.8% ownership this week, 5.8 now. That's very low. Uh, your thoughts on the Chargers? I love going for this team in this game environment this week, especially if Keenan Allen plays. I think you could find a team that finally gets a chance to be the explosive offense that we we kind of feel that they could be. I mean, just think about the gauntlet of teams that Justin Herbert has already faced. He's faced the Saints. He's faced the Tampa Bay defense that made Aaron Rodgers look completely silly, and he's faced the Chiefs. I realize he's faced eight rings already in his first four st or first five starts here. He's fa faced eight Super Bowl rings, 
and their defenses on the other side of the ball are no slouch either. And his, his underlying metrics, Herbert's, are just fantastic. He ranks sixth in true completion rate, fifth in true passer rating, third in yards for attempts, and again, contextualized for his rookie season and against those defenses and with some of his best receivers in and out of the lineup. I'm in on Herbert as not only the rookie of the year, but the Chargers quarterback of the future. And again, we play this game differently if Allen sits or not. But before last week, Allen saw more than 10 targets in three or 10 or more targets, excuse me, in three straight game, including a game with 20 targets. That's an incredible amount. And against a Jaguars defense that has holes all over his defense of this defense it absolutely could happen this week once keenan allen left the game now mind you he caught a touchdown in his short time against new orleans yeah but basically once he left the game the usage for allen was split almost exactly down the middle for hunter henry and mike williams we saw mike williams with the higher average depth of target as we would expect but i see a situation where regardless of options here that they have. We hope he has the full arsenal with Keenan Allen in the lineup. I'm on this Chargers this Chargers team. And then of course, just like you said, Justin Jackson used over 20 op- with op- 20 opportunities. Basically, if you look in terms of pass rush ratio and the breakdown that way, he was used exactly like they used Austin Eckler. He's yep. their replacement one to one and you're getting a huge salary discount, 26th among running backs on the slate. I love it. Only $4,900. It's crazy. Keep an eye on Jackson. He was a limited participant yesterday. Uh, It looks like he's got a a knee injury that popped up, which is kind of strange because they were on a bye coming into this week. So you're hoping that this is just some maintenance, right? Wednesday practice, oftentimes you'll see players not practice or be limited. Uh, But just keep an eye on that. If If he's a full go today, tomorrow, we'll be in business. At that price point, if his ownership stays even below 10%, uh, I have a lot of interest there. I like this whole team. Uh, and uh, if Keenan Allen's out, the Herbert, the, the, having like a Herbert Williams and Henry stack also feels really, really nice. Um, and remember, that, this is the this is the rushing defense, the Jaguars, that just gave up that huge, huge uh, tournament winning kind of score to DeAndre Swift. So that's right. That's, right. that's absolutely right. Um, what are your thoughts on the Jacksonville Jaguars here? Last team to close this one out. Yeah, not that exciting. Not that exciting of a team to finish off our main slate breakdown here. But uh, one thing I got to say is that Minshew's accuracy rankings are really middling here. He he's struggling, and it looked like some frustration was was coming out from his receiver core. If you look at the the YouTube playbacks of their post game press conferences, uh, there is some rushing upside. I believe he rushed for a touchdown last week with Minshew there. And that's the only reason I'm really considering him as the quarterback 15 in terms of salary on DraftKings this weekend. Uh, DJ Chark is still working his way back from injury. He's a limited participant. And the Osmo projections are just really, really low for him compared to his wide receiver 22 salary. One thing I'll also add, too, is that figuring out who Gardner Minshew's top target each week is one of the toughest things for fantasy gamers to do right now. They rank third worst in terms of consolidated offenses. For their wide receiver core so yes while it is it is slightly possible that they can keep pace with the chargers defense here picking who you need in that passing game gets really tough then when you factor in the fact that he's been inefficient in most of his losses and they're heavily heavy under heavy heavy underdogs here 
it's just a kind of a stay away place for anyone except James Robinson, who has the usage to be considered at 6,200 this weekend. Well, that'll do it. Matt, great job as always, man. Awesome analysis. Too, it's bud. fun doing this show with you, and it's fun uh, having all of you guys in chat, hanging out with us for this marathon two-hour show. We've actually kept it under two hours, so great job. And thanks to Jordan Klein. Jordan, producing. It's a long one, man. He goes, he goes, he's, he's there for three hours at a time, too. Doesn't have to talk as much as us, but putting in work behind the scenes. Uh, so we appreciate it. Thanks to all the Super Chats, guys. Uh, you guys are the best. And to all of you who have, you know, simply hit that thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, want to become part of this community. So we'll see you back here soon. Check out the Showdown Strategy Show and the FanDuel Show coming up after this. Follow Matt at Draftaholic, myself at Lafayette underscore D. We'll see you back here soon.